This is the Amberco Christian Centre podcast. Hello and thank you for downloading this podcast. This is the second podcast in our whole church uh, teaching series that we've called Following Jesus Together, where we're taking a look at the local church, what it is and why it matters. If you haven't listened to the first in this series, then I'd suggest that you pause this podcast now and go and find that one, as we're going to be building on the teaching that was given there. In that first podcast, we considered together the meaning of the word ekklesia, the Greek word used in the New Testament that we translate as church in our New Testament translations. We also look together at our language and how the words that we use shape our behaviour and the way that we see and engage in local church. And we also began to look at the idea that the New Testament writers very helpfully give us some brilliant metaphors to help us understand what church is and how we're to engage in it today in the 21st century as we seek to follow Jesus together. In this podcast... We're going to look at one of these metaphors. We're going to look at the people of God as a metaphor. And then in our next podcasts, we're going to look at the metaphors of the temple, the body and a family. And as I said at the end of the first podcast, the reason that we're doing this isn't just because it's brilliantly interesting and enjoyable to do, although for many of us it is, the purpose in looking at these metaphors is to ask ourselves whether we have a biblical concept, a biblical understanding of what church actually is, to challenge us on the way we view church and whether those views and ideas line up with scripture. And ultimately to consider how we engage in and connect with local church and whether this lines up and is consistent with what the Bible teaches and how Jesus wants us to connect. So, this podcast task is to explore the biblical metaphor or the image of the people of God used by New Testament writers to describe the church. And my hope is that through these metaphors, your love for Jesus, firstly, but also for the local church will grow. These metaphors, I want to say right now, they contain some beautiful and uh, brilliant, challenging, but exciting images of what local church actually is. And I think that so many of us, including myself, has undersold and underplayed the role of church in our lives. For many in our society, church has become simply another voluntary organisation. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, comments that many people in our day see the church simply as a part-time voluntary organisation of like-minded people. And yet, the New Testament has such a bigger vision of what church actually is. And I pray that you are inspired, lifted, excited, challenged and filled with courage as you explore these metaphors with me. So why don't we pray Uh, before we get into the teaching. So Father, we love your church and uh, we know that it is broken. We know that 
Um, it's not everything it could be, but we love it because you love your church, your bride. And we pray that as we explore these scriptures, that you would open our hearts, wherever we are, whether we're running or whether we're listening to this in the car, we're sat at home, that you would open our hearts and fill us with courage and with a love for the church and what you want to do in and through the church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So you'll hopefully remember that I commented in the first podcast that metaphors can act a little like computer code. Uh, that can be packaged up, sort of uploaded onto the internet and then downloaded into another time and space. Uh, And I hope that that metaphor, that is a metaphor in itself, I hope it sort of helps to describe what the New Testament writers are doing. So they write to their readers and as they do this, the meaning, the purpose, the understanding, um, the spirit of what they're saying is all sort of encoded into these little packages and stored uh, in metaphor in scripture. This then travels through time and space to us today where we can, if we thoughtfully and carefully and prayerfully download this code, then these metaphors, through them we can unlock with the help of Holy Spirit the meaning, purpose and understanding of what God inspired the writers to write and that's what we're going to be doing in these podcasts and in order to do this um, as I said in the first podcast we're going to use three helpful questions number one what did the author or the writer of the scriptures mean by this metaphor number two how did that shape the early church and then number three what does this mean for us today in the 21st century so can you see how we're By doing this, we're downloading that package or that code that has been uploaded. We discover through Bible study and studying the Bible in community and reading the Bible well, what the scriptures are saying. We look at how this worked out then in the early church, and then we look at how this can shape and teach us today. That's the plan. So let's get on with the metaphors. And the first metaphor I want us to look at is the picture of the church as the people of God. Now this isn't an image that I naturally thought of when I was thinking and planning through this series, but um, as I read and prayed and um, looked through the scriptures, this image, the people of God, rose to the surface and I realised just how important it is. It might not be sort of the most popular one, we know there might be other ones you're aware of, you know, the body or the temple or uh, whatever you've heard of before, but this image of the people of God suddenly I realised was so critical in understanding church. And for this image, and actually for the next image of the temple too, we're going to root ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 to 10. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there, but I imagine some of you will be driving or walking or running while you're listening to this, so don't do that. Don't don't look at your Bible if you're driving. Um, And don't worry, I'll read out the scriptures and you can allow the word of God to land as you listen to his word. 1 Peter 2 isn't the only reference to the people of God. This image is possibly one of the most popular images used in the New Testament. And there's references in Galatians 3, in Romans 4, Colossians sorry, 3, um, and uh, also in lots of other places as well. And it's basically the idea 
that the Christians are the new people of God or probably more helpfully the true or the end time or the fulfilled people of God. So listen to what Peter says to the churches that he is writing to in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 10. And the idea of God choosing a people is prolific in the Old Testament. In fact, it is one of the defining characteristics of the Jewish people, that they were chosen by God, that he had called them as a chosen people. Isaiah 43 verse 20 says, I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 to 8 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. There's lots of other references to this. And of course, much of this goes back to Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham and says that he will give him descendants that will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. Now, we must stop at this point when we hear the idea of a people being chosen. Our 21st century minds may just struggle with that. And that's okay. I totally understand that. We may think this is unfair. Why would God choose one group of people over another group of people. But someone once said to me that we have to remember that being chosen by God was a mixed chalice to drink. In other words, yes, it is of course amazing being chosen by God, enjoying his blessing and and his mercy and his love. However, it was also a great responsibility. And I guess um, a similar picture might be being chosen to be part of the royal family. For example, you know, there are, of course, benefits and privileges. You'll never have to worry about providing enough food for your family to eat. But there are also huge responsibilities. Your life is never truly your own. There isn't much freedom and things like that. Um, So it's not exactly like that. But, you know, hopefully that helps us understand that being chosen isn't just about receiving all the blessings and having a great time. It's about privileges, but it's also about responsibilities. And one of the responsibilities uh, that they were chosen uh, is in order to be a blessing to the rest of the world, to be a blessing to other peoples. In Genesis 12, God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. The purpose, the reason that God was going to bless Abraham is so that he would be a blessing. This was always God's expectation of Israel. 
Not that they always perform this role very well at times. In fact, at times, they were very poor examples of what this looks like. But God's intention and his plan was to call Israel as a people in order to demonstrate his love and his mercy to the people of the world. And this calling being chosen by God resulted in at least three things for the people of God. Number one, they often received comfort in this calling in times of difficulty and persecution. Number two, they were called to be different and live differently from the people around them. And number three, they were called to be missional, to demonstrate the mercy and grace of God in the way that they lived. Much of this in Israel's time was maintained through the temple, through the land that God gives them, through their race, through their ethnicity, and of course through the Torah, through the teachings of God. And so what Peter does in this letter is he writes to the New Testament church using this image of the people of God. And what he does in doing this is gather up for them all of the history, the journey, the ups, the downs, the purpose, the meaning of the people of God. And he brings that to the fore and says that now through Christ, in Christ, this is who the people who follow Jesus are. He says to his readers, the churches in Galatia and Asia, you are the people of God. You are a chosen nation. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his, for God's own possession. And Paul says this in a slightly different way when he's writing to the church in Galatia. Uh, in Galatians 3, he writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, this is how the New Testament church saw themselves. They were a new kind of people. Up until Jesus, if you were a Jew, then you would basically see that there were two kinds of people in the world. There were Jews, the chosen ones, and then there were Gentiles. Now, of course, you knew that there were different people groups, but and that's a bit of a simp simple way of looking at it. But broadly speaking, there were kind of two chosen, you know, two types of people: those chosen by God, and those outside of that calling. But now, in Christ, through Jesus, a third race emerges, or more precisely, God in Christ brings together the Jew, the Gentile, the slave the free, the male, the female, into a new kind of people, the people of God, the fulfilment of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And this was a massive shift in Jewish thinking. Suddenly the people of God was not defined by their ethnicity, but instead defined by Christ. This is why Peter writes, once you were not a people, these people were not Jews, they were outside of the call of God. But now you are God's people. Once you had received, uh, not received mercy, again, you are outside of that blessing and the mercy of God. But now you have received mercy. And this was a huge shape, uh, shift in the way that the early church 
um, saw themselves and how they acted. And listen to this story from the book of Acts and hopefully you'll grasp some, some of this and the impact that it had. The story is following Paul and Silas uh, in their missionary trips and listen for how the idea of Christians being the people of God was shaping how the early church lived their lives. Now when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also and Jason receives them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king Jesus and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest they let them go isn't that fantastic listen to these words these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You see, the ancient world, much like our own, was based on a set of socially acceptable norms and expectations. The Jews acted in a certain way. The Greeks valued certain things. Slaves were slaves. Women and men had certain roles. It was clear how the social structures worked and society was formulated and formed around these expectations. And then here come these followers of Jesus. And verse 4 is fascinating when paralleled alongside the Galatians passage that we just read. It says, some of them, meaning Jews from the synagogue, synagogue, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Can you hear it? A new people is emerging where there is no longer Greek or Jew or male or female, but all are one in Christ. You see, the early church saw themselves as the end time people of God. God's purposes had been fulfilled. All that he had promised to Abraham and Moses and David had come about in Christ. And now through Christ, a new people had emerged. God's people, the people of God. And therefore, the metaphor of the people of God continued to shape and mould the early church, just as it had done for Israel. The same implications of this metaphor became critical for the New Testament church, just as it had for Israel. They received comfort when they faced persecution. This is the main reason Peter uses this metaphor, because many in the churches he's writing to are facing or will face persecution. So he says, remember, you are the people of God, the chosen people of God. 
Secondly, it was a call to be different. Their lives will run contrary to many of the people around them. Thirdly, the reason for this, the reason they are the people of God, the chosen people of God, is so they can be missional, so they can bless those around them. Did you notice that in the passage from 1 Peter? It says, you are a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. There was this explosion of evangelism in the early church because the church understood that it was chosen not for its own sake, but for the blessing of the people around them. They were to be a blessing. So the question is, how did the early church maintain this identity of being the people of God? Well, if you remember, Israel had the temple, the land that God had given them, their ethnicity, being Jewish, and the Torah, their teaching. And the Jewish Christians did continue to go to the temple, but very quickly these things shifted away uh, from the Jewish heritage into new expressions. And if you think about Acts 2, where it talks about the early church, the early church didn't focus on the land, the temple, their ethnicity, and the Torah. But it does say that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. These were the things that held together the people of God as they lived out their calling to be the people of God. It helped them in times of difficulty and persecution. It helped shape their life to be different to the people around them and energize them to be missional. So what does this mean for the church today? What does this mean for you and for me? Well, firstly, this picture, the idea of being the people of God, reminds us that in Christ we have a completely new and primary identity. What do I mean by that? Well, the early church were no longer primarily Jewish. Although they continued to be Jews, they were a new kind of people. They were Christians or in Christ. And this identity became their primary identity. And I think this is the same for us today. Our, our identity is no longer primarily our country of origin, our race, our political preferences, our views on sexuality or culture or anything like that. We are a new people, no longer primarily English or whatever our heritage. We are primarily, firstly, Christians grafted into a new or fulfilled people of God. And this is, I think, important for us to realise. Maybe stop and think about that for a moment. You are the people of God. This is your primary identity. This is who you are. And if you don't feel like that, maybe if you identify more with your culture or your demographic, maybe your nation or your race, then can I gently just encourage you and maybe challenge you? Perhaps you haven't fully embraced the wonder of what it means to be in Christ, to be the people of God. This is an identity-defining thing. And because we find the same things that were true of Israel and the early church, we find it to be true of us as well. We can find comfort and difficult, um, comfort when we face difficulty and persecution because we know that we are called to be God's people. 
We are called as the people of God to be different to those around us. And of course, we are called as the people of God to live missionally. And again, just like the early church and the Israelites, this isn't just an identity to inherit, but it's also an identity to maintain. I wonder if you've ever wondered how strange it is that God required the Israelites not to intermarry with the people around them, the nations around them. Was, you know, have you ever thought God just being mean in that? Was he sort of racist uh, in a way? Of course he wasn't. But being the people of God for Israel was about their ethnicity. And linked to race and at that time and ethnicity were the gods that other nations worshipped. When the, the nations came, they brought their gods with them. And so Israel maintained their demonstration as the people of God through the temple, through their ethnicity, through the land that they lived in and through the Torah, through their festivals and their teaching. That's how they maintained and continued their identity as the people of God. But the church maintains its identity, I think, as the people of God, um, in the early church at least, largely through a devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to community, to breaking of bread, focusing on Christ and his death, and to prayer. And this is what we must think about today. How are we not only inheriting the identity as the people of God, but also how are we maintaining that identity as the people of God? How can we live out the image of the people of God in persecution, in difficulty, in being different to those around us and in living missionally in the way that we live? I would suggest that it is in the same way as the early church, through devoting ourselves to scripture, to the apostles' teaching, through engaging in and being devoted to fellowship, to community, to being part of meeting with God's people, to breaking bread, coming back to Christ and his sacrifice, the cross and his resurrection, and also uh, through prayer. So we need to be thinking about that in our lives. Here's a few questions you might find helpful. In what ways are we devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the teaching of the Bible? In what practical ways are we devoting ourselves to the fellowship, to expressions of community and Christian relationship? In what ways are we devoting ourselves to the breaking of bread, to sharing the precious meal of communion with other followers of Jesus? And in what ways are we devoting ourselves to prayer? As we think about local church, what it is and why it matters, the ways and means can always change. There are churches with thousands of people in them. There are churches with 10 people in them. There's churches that meet on a Sunday together at 10.30 in the morning. There are churches that gather in different ways throughout the week. There are churches that have buildings, churches that don't have buildings. Really, at the end of the day, Although it matters, this stuff can be important. It's sort of the, the reason it's there is because it's that particular church's or church family's way of working out their responsibility to maintain being the people of God. And some of these things work and some don't work and some work for a while and then don't work. And throughout the generations, our ways of meeting, our structures, our habits have shifted and changed and morphed depending, hopefully, I believe, on the leading of the Holy Spirit, but of course, depending on culture as well. Someone once told me that 
The reason we have our services in England roughly around half ten is because that was the time that gave farmers time to feed the cows and then get back home uh, to get ready to come to the church service. Now, I don't know if that's true, to be honest, I haven't researched it, but it's a good example, isn't it, about how the way that church happens and what we do in church and all of that will change depending on culture. But the critical thing is that we devote, there is a devotion in the people of God to the things that maintain the identity uh, as the people of God. An obvious example of this will be, uh, many of you all know I'm a church leader, that's what I do, which means I spend a lot of my time praying on my own, meeting with other Christians, obviously reading the Bible. The question is, do I need to come to a Sunday morning service to hear the word of God preached and to worship? And for me, the answer is 100% yes, because I believe that I need a rhythm and pattern of life that creates space for devotion to teaching, to fellowship, to prayer and breaking bread. Are there other ways of doing this? Of course. Are there better ways of doing this? Well, I hope that we discover some ways of doing that. And some of that's what we're doing in our sort of church family meetings, even through this whole church teaching is a different way of devoting ourselves to the teaching of scripture. So I hope that we we develop new ways and, and, uh, and maybe return to old ways of doing this. But still in this season, a connection into a group of people, an expression of worship, teaching, fellowship, communion and prayer is absolutely critical. And so as I close this podcast, I just want us to take a moment to think about how you can grow in a devotion to these things. Perhaps for you, it's as simple as joining a small group or a community group. It may be this step that you need in order to grow in a devotion to fellowship. Perhaps it's as simple as committing to listen to the whole church teaching that seeks to deliver the doctrinal and directional teaching of our church family. Maybe it's about meeting up more regularly with other believers and building relationships that will grow your love and your devotion for Jesus. Whatever it is, I pray that you would remember that in Christ, you, we, are the people of God, the end time fulfillment, God's people in Christ and through the church in Christ. God's intention is to bless the nations. May you know your identity as the people of God and may we continue to not only inherit this identity, but maintain it as well. Let's pray together as we close this podcast. Father God, I just thank you for this image as the people of God. There's so much more we could say, but we thank you that you have given us a new identity, that we have been welcomed into your people, chosen to be a blessing to the world, chosen to be missional and demonstrate your love, chosen to be different and give an example of what it looks like to walk with God, but also a comfort when we face difficulty, a comfort when we are facing uh, things that are putting pressure on us uh, to give in and to change the way we live. Thank you that we can call on this and say, no, we are the people of God and that is the identity that we have. We thank you for that. I pray for each person listening, this will put a fire in their belly and a passion for your church. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to Ambercote Christian Centre's podcast. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk